You are listening to Sparking Wholeness with Erin Carey, where we talk about all things related to nutrition for mind, body, and soul. Are you ready? Let's do this. Hey everybody, it's Erin Carey and welcome back to Sparking Wholeness. It is my favorite month of the year. It's Mental Health Awareness Month. And of course, I am kicking things off with a solo episode. I have been podcasting for almost four years and I love adding in my own personal twist here and there. For those who don't know my story, I was diagnosed with three different mental health disorders by the time I was 18 years old, PTSD, depression, and bipolar disorder. Now, you might argue that I also have ADHD that's undiagnosed. You might even argue that I have had symptoms of OCD that was undiagnosed. I do believe at the root of my mental dysfunction was a brain and body that were completely disconnected and dysregulated as a result of the trauma that I experienced when I was young. And I think that that is an area that is going to be explored more and more on my podcast and in the science because we have a whole lot of symptoms and a whole lot of names and diagnoses but not a whole lot of tangible resources. So I bring you this episode in true sparking wholeness fashion. I want to give you some different things to think about, a different way to look at how food contributes to mood, how what you are eating could be hurting or helping your mental health. There is so much to learn. There's so much that I still don't know. There's so much that I'm constantly chronically researching, but today I'm just going to start simple. Your body needs to feel safe to heal and thrive. That is a foundational principle with mental health. It's true for emotional safety. It's absolutely true for physiological safety. Your body needs to feel safe to heal. Unfortunately, due to fancy food marketing, years of junk science twisted to benefit food companies, we have commonly consumed foods that are keeping our bodies in an unsafe, stressed out state. We have strayed so far from the food that our great grandparents ate that our bodies are sounding the alarm on every level. Yet we just keep on trying the newest things, thinking something's gonna work, something's going to make us feel better. So what I'm doing with this episode is I rounded up a list of five things that I believe are truly creating long-term chaos in the body's ability to function optimally. And that could be from anything from a cellular level to neurotransmitter level, (laughs) neurotransmitter level, I'm talking too fast, to every area in between. We can call these five things health imposters. We all want what's best for our health, truly. But it can be so confusing figuring out the best ways to be healthy. And what do I always say? A body in stress won't digest. And a body in stress is probably not going to plan well for meals and for healthy eating and healthy habits either. But the food that we consume can often be contributing to that stress level. And that's something we don't talk about enough. I believe that based on the piles of research that I've done and the unending training I have received, that these five trends that I'm going to mention, masquerading as health could be extremely destructive, especially when they're going on at at a habitual rate, right? Many of us, these things that we think are just once in a while things are things that are happening all the time. And that adds up to damage in the body. Because I'm not trying to keep you more stressed out 
or kill your joy, I'm going to follow that list up with five things I think could be beneficial for just about everyone's mental health. And so there is hope and I want to offer you that hope because out of my own story of healing and putting symptoms into remission, I know that we can reverse the chronic conditions that drag us down. I know that we can find brain and body regulation. And my husband, Richard, who has been on this podcast before, and I'm going to interview him soon, was just mentioning to me the other day that he's known me for almost 15 years now, and he has never once experienced me in a manic episode. He's never seen me in a manic episode that happened long before I met him. So I have not had symptoms of this bipolar diagnosis I was given for over 15 years. I will say I do still experience symptoms that are a result of trauma. I do sometimes experience fight, flight, or freeze. That is also part of the human experience. And I know I'm not alone in that, but it's something I'm actively working on. So to be clear, I am not trying to confuse anyone with extra nutritional religiosity. I am not trying to make anything more complicated for you. I really do want to keep it simple. And these five health imposters that I'm going to list for you are going to be a helpful way to look at what is maybe wreaking havoc with your health and maybe what are things that could be imposters and not as healthy as you think they are. So number one, let's just get started, okay? I'll stop talking. Stop with the intro. Number one health imposter, using reduced fat, low fat, or light, sugar-free anything. I really can't believe I even have to say this. 30 years after the low fat movement led us all into hypoglycemia and prediabetes, which might come off as an exaggeration, but I do believe that there is a strong correlation. Fat is necessary for so many functions in our body. It's crucial for cell membrane health. It's necessary for brain health. It's extremely satiating and keeps us full and our cravings down. When we go reduced fat or low fat, when fat is removed from something that naturally has fat in it, it throws off the balance of carbs and fat, which can lead to rapid spikes in blood sugar. In some cases, like in light salad dressings, these chemical stabilizers or sugar or artificial sweeteners that they add in, they're added in to maintain texture and flavor and that overly sweet flavor can stimulate the cephalic blood sugar response and set you up for a blood sugar roller coaster and hanger. All right. So if that's, if you're still skeptical about that, I have got um, a meta analysis here. There are 16 studies that showed that those who consumed full fat dairy were less likely to be at risk for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease. Also, a study of women who ate low-fat dairy increased their chances of infertility by 85%. That's a lot. As my friend Chelsea, the Christian nutritionist who was just on the show last week, she says, God didn't make cows with low-fat udders. So eat the fat, be full. Fat is good for you. There is a popular diet out there that I really, you know, I try to be kind, but I do think it is wrecking women's hormones. It is wrecking women's adrenal function. It is called Octavia. It's this like fake food diet where you eat all of these like processed foods with artificial ingredients at a very, very low calorie rate. So you can just, you know, spike that stress response for a little while, lose an extreme amount of weight and then gain it back later and give yourselves a whole lot of dysfunction to go along with it. Well, anyway, most of their recipes, their light and fit recipes, or I can't remember what they're called, mean green, lean green, something like that. They include reduced fat or low fat cheeses or milks or sour creams or Um, light dressings, things like that. And it is just, it blows my mind that people think that this is a healthy way to eat, but people still do. And I'm telling you, this is new stuff that's been added 
that is confusing for the body, it's confusing for the immune system. Your immune system is constantly surveilling and tolerating the environment of the body to see how it can respond. And when your immune system is given a whole lot of food that has been chemically altered to kind of look like food, but kind of not look like food to cheat the system, your immune system can go on alert. And that can be really damaging for a lot of downstream issues that I don't have time for right now. So that's number one. That is a health imposter using reduced fat, low fat, or light sugar-free anything. Number two, this is a fun one, consuming seed oils. So when I'm talking about seed oils, I'm talking about soybean oil, vegetable oil, corn oil, even though a lot of commercials out there still say it's heart healthy, palm oil, sunflower oil, and safflower oil. The one I hate the most is canola oil because for years we were told that it's a great source of omega-3. It really isn't. These oils are actually damaging to the mitochondria, which means your cellular health is at risk by over-consuming these oils. These polyunsaturated fatty acids are unstable when they break down in the body. They oxidize under high heat and heavy processing. Furthermore, they tend to throw off the omega-3-6 ratio, which can increase inflammation if omega-6 oils far exceed the omega-3 oils. And we are very much imbalanced with omega-6s and omega-3s because of all of our processed food are heavy in omega-6 oils. These oils are in coffee creamers. You know, those coffee mate creamers that are so tasty. You know, you can get your white chocolate, you can get your coconut cream, you can get, oh, it's the one I used to love. It was a cinnamon one. It was so good. They're loaded in vegetable oils. Just look at the label. They're in processed chips. They're in baked goods. They're in cereals, the cereals that we give our kids thinking that our kids' brains are going to develop. They're in nut butters. They're in ice cream. They're in breaded chicken products. They are in bread. They're in tortillas. They're in salsa. They're in canned goods. I've seen them in all sorts of things that you would never think to look at until you're looking at the ingredients. However, there are options that don't have them as well. You just have to read the ingredients, not the nutrition facts like we've been trained, read the ingredients. And when all else fails, go organic. It is very rare that inflammatory seed oils will be in an organic product because just by nature of processing, they are heavily sprayed with pesticides. The third health imposter is, oh, you guys are going to love this one, drinking oat milk. Okay, oat milk is a crazy trend going on right now. But basically, you just take the inflammatory oils that I mentioned from item number two, you turn a glyphosate-ridden grain into a milk, you add some other fillers and stabilizers that your gut for sure does not recognize as real food, and then you tell people it's healthy because it's plant-based. It is genius marketing, and it seems to be working based on all the varieties of oat milks that I see out there. I have nothing against organic oats for most people, but oats aren't milk. They go very well with milk, but they aren't milk. To be milk, a lot of processing needs to happen. And because recent studies show that eating ultra-processed foods increase depression and anxiety, why add one more item of processing to your morning coffee? If, especially if it's going to be something you are having every single day. If it's here and there, I don't see an issue, whatever. Same thing with the oils. Your body can handle a lot of, to- our bodies can handle way more toxins than we want to believe, but your body can handle a little bit of adversity here and there, right? But most of the items that are on this list that I'm giving you, these five health imposters, these are things that are, that are happening on the daily for people. 
And for me, it's just not worth it. If you truly have an issue with organic dairy, whether it's a sensitivity or an allergy, or you're trying to heal your gut like I am constantly doing, pure coconut milk is going to be the best option for a substitute. Most of the plant-based milk options are highly processed and can be aggravating for sensitive systems. And I'm going to leave you with one quote from a recent podcast guest, Dr. Molly Maloof. In her book, The Spark Factor, she talks about oat milk and takes it on in a way that I just think is genius. She says, oat milk is made from a grain that has been enzymatically broken down into individual starch molecules. It can spike your blood sugar because it contains maltose, which is an extremely high glycemic index. And 12 ounces of oat milk, the amount in a medium latte, has about the same blood sugar impact as as a 12 ounce can of cola. Plus, it often contains, like I already said, industrialized seed oils, the same amount actually that's in in a serving of fries. That's something to think about. Do you prefer oat milk or fries? I'm going to prefer the fries. Sorry, that wasn't her quote. That was mine. She says, if you need milk, I recommend unsweetened almond, hemp, coconut, or macadamia nut milk. But again, I would add to that check and see what fillers have been added and if you can find something with simple basic ingredients like just almonds or just coconut or make your own if you really can't do dairy milk there are all sorts of cool contraptions out these days that you can make your own nut-based milk if you so desire so that's my rant about oat milk also it just tastes nasty can we all agree that it doesn't even taste good Shout out to my friend Jared, who thinks it's delicious. And um, yeah, we were just in a big debate over this the other day in a group chat, but he thinks it's delicious. I disagree. I have other vices. All right. Number four, the fourth health imposter is eating five small meals a day. This is what we've been told, right? On one level, this seems to make sense. We have been told that by eating five or six small meals a day, it can support satiety, blood sugar, and stoke the metabolism. However, recent research is showing that it might be doing more more harm than good. Multiple studies have shown that meal frequency doesn't actually impact metabolism and lead to greater weight loss as we've been told. For those with digestive issues and gut imbalances, eating too frequently hinders the work of the migrating motor complex or MMC, which is basically the internal gut vacuum, taking out the trash to keep our system cleared out from excess debris that could cause inflammation. It's another reason that I really don't like those processed food diets like the one that I mentioned before the one that starts with the letter O. It's because it really disrupts the migrating motor complex because you are continuously eating. Your gut needs a good four hours on average in between meals to do its job. By constantly eating, we prevent that from happening and that can be really problematic for people that suffer from things like IBS and and flat out bowel disease. It can be problematic. We are seeing a massive increase of insulin resistance in all ages and stages of life. When you are continually snacking, especially when it's a low calorie, low fat, but higher carb or sugar food, you are constantly asking your insulin to support the load, which can lead to hypoglycemia and down the line, insulin resistance. Research shows that eating less meals that are more satiating and packed with sufficient fiber, fat, see there's a theme here, and protein will keep blood sugar from constantly spiking and dropping throughout the day. I have found with my clients that when people are getting enough fiber, fat, and protein during a meal, they are hungry and not hangry, feel better, mental clarity is improved, and they keep up with it because it's a lot easier to remember to eat two or three times a day than have to constantly be thinking about food all throughout the day because you never get what you need from your main meals. All right, the fifth health imposter is doing intense cardio all the time. I am not hating on you runners or you hit people. 
I used to be one. Exercise, especially cardiovascular exercise, is an incredible hormetic stressor. This means that your body is put under a little bit of stress for a short period of time, then it recovers and you become more resilient. The problem with most people living a modern, fast-paced lifestyle is there is little room for recovery. This used to be me. Here's an example. My alarm went off early in the morning. This is back when I was a teacher. So my alarm would go off early in the morning. I would throw on my workout clothes and head out for a run. Then still buzzing from all that energy, AKA stress created from the run. I jumped into the shower and prepared for a packed day, rushing from one thing to the next until bedtime. I rarely stretched, did not stretch my body out after my runs. I rarely recovered. So my body maintained the stress created by the run at an ongoing rate throughout my day. Even good stress can be a stress. So how do you know if you're doing too much? This is a good self-check-in that we will get to on the flip side when I talk about the good habits, but I'll just give you a, a little hint right now. For most people doing over 30 minutes of cardio most days per week could be harmful, especially women in the luteal or menstrual phase. Your luteal phase is like that really, the part that most women don't like, it's like the 10 days before you start your period. If you find yourself exhausted when you wake up, pushing through exhaustion during your workout, because that's what you think you're supposed to do, you're chronically sore and in pain, highly anxious and edgy and spurts throughout the day, you're a lot more irritable, you're irritable with your kids. If you find yourself waking up throughout the night, you might benefit from slowing it down some days. Even adding in just a couple days of yoga or strength training slow strength training, slow mindful strength training can be beneficial and always, always stretch and breathe after an intense workout. This reminds your body that you're safe. You're no longer running from a tiger and you can recover. And that is where we want to make the most use out of the hormetic stressors that we put our bodies through. All right, so that's the bad news. Let's talk about five things everyone everywhere should be consuming for their mental health. These are these are the good guys, right? These are not the imposters. This is the real deal. These are five real, very real, very helpful things that everybody can consume to benefit their health. Number one, drink mostly water. Anything other than water is a treat. While I know many people, myself included, benefit from coffee or tea in the morning or mid-morning for some added focus and, you know, there's other benefits of caffeine that we love, you should still be drinking mostly water most of the time. Get your body hooked on water. This might surprise you, but I have not had a soda in nine years. It'll, it will, sorry, it'll be nine years next month, but still nine years no Dr. Pepper, no Diet Dr. Pepper, no Coke Zero, no Coke, no Diet Coke. Just getting the option off the table did wonders for my mental health and my sugar cravings. I just stopped doing it. I do occasionally have adult beverages, okay, but I'm very sensitive to anything overly sweet, especially in mixed cocktails. I just can't do it. Water is where it's at. Hydration helps with focus, decreases anxiety, supports cellular health, which we need for brain communication, and helps with snacking in between meals. That's number one water. This sounds simple and basic, but I know we often forget how important it is. The number two real health tool that we all need in our lives. Eat foods that support neurotransmitter function. Everything you eat, drink, think, and do impacts your neurotransmitters. Neurotransmitters are the chemical messengers that impact how we feel. How we feel impacts what we do and how we show up in life. When we are talking about creating serotonin, dopamine, GABA, 
or other neurotransmitters that tell our body we are safe and not anxious, we need specific raw materials to create those neurotransmitters. You are not going to get them from nothing. You're not going to get them from having McDonald's every day. You're just not. That food is deficient in the nutrients that we need to make our neurotransmitters. So let's talk about what supports serotonin production. Serotonin is your neurotransmitter that helps with sleep, helps you not to be depressed or anxious. It also really helps with bowel motility and regularity, which is extremely important. If you find yourself constipated a lot, you might have a serotonin issue. So here are the foods that support serotonin production. Beef. Oh, I love it. Love grass-fed beef. Quality matters here. Chicken. Eggs. Quality dairy. Again, keyword there, quality, and can you tolerate it? Nuts and seeds, oats, and one of my very favorites, bananas. Bananas make me happy. Eating foods high in protein in the morning will help with dopamine production. Dopamine is your get up and go neurotransmitter. This is what gives us the drive to do the things that we need to do. So getting protein in the morning is going to be a really crucial component of that. And most people are not getting enough. I would shoot for at least 20 grams of protein within the first few hours that you wake up. A winning day for me is when I get a good 60 grams of protein by lunchtime. That's when I feel extreme mental clarity for the rest of my day. Other things that are great for dopamine production are cruciferous veggies and veggies that are high in sulfur. So like Brussels sprouts, cabbage, cauliflower, kale, onions, and garlic. Dark chocolate is a winner. It's great for serotonin and dopamine production. It's also really important to get prebiotic fiber that nourishes healthy gut bacteria because that will also further support the creation of neurotransmitters. All veggies are going to be great for this. So load up on the veggies and you're going to be giving your gut bacteria what it needs to thrive and and further strengthen that neurotransmitter production. Because as you might know, I've said it before, but over 90% of serotonin, your feel-good, happy neurotransmitter, is produced in the gut. And I know many of you do take antidepressants or SSRIs, which... I am not an either or person. I'm a both and I have no problem with that. But your SSRI is is only keeping the serotonin that you have available for longer. It's under the assumption that you have that serotonin available. Well, we need to be producing that serotonin at the gut level. So we can do that with the food that we eat. Number three, this is another, the third health habit that's always going to be healthy all the time. And that is eating animal protein and animal fats. For mental health, this is a non-negotiable. We could debate all sorts of other things for different reasons for a different day. Different seasons call for different solutions, but for mental health, eating animal protein and fats are crucial. I truly believe the vegan movement of the last 10 years or so is starting to wind down. That's why more people are going carnivore because it has caused so many health issues. Initially, people feel really great eating no animal products and eating mostly plants because they're probably not going through the drive-through for their supersized value meals anymore. But when you eliminate animal fats and protein for too long, it really takes a toll on brain health because you are not getting enough B12, methionine, tyrosine. These are crucial for methylation, for mitochondrial health, for energy, for anti-anxiety benefits, for antidepressant benefits, period. This is huge. But this is also where quality is a really big deal. If I am going to spend money on quality, I'm going to go with the good quality animal protein and animal fats and animal protein that I love. I've already mentioned the grass fed beef. You can look for pasture raised eggs. I know eggs are (laughs) a little pricey. Maybe find a friend that has eggs and, and see if you can pay them for their eggs. I'm sure they've got plenty that they could, they could pass along to you, but 
that those are kind of my top two, but also you can find some really good quality wild caught salmon. I'm a big fan of sardines. That's also helpful. Grass fed butter, ghee, all those things. Tallow. I know a lot of people these days are cooking with tallow like our ancestors did, but these things, especially these fats, they are more stable in the body and the saturated fats are not going to oxidize like those polyunsaturated fats that I mentioned before. And they're going to be a stronger source of protection for your cell membrane, for mental health, brain health, all of it. Okay, so that's number three. Number four, adopt a principle of checking in with what your body needs. Ask your body what it needs, whether you need more sleep, more slow movement like yoga, maybe more nature walks, more time in the sun, or more veggies. Your needs are gonna change throughout the month, especially if you're a female, but your needs are going to be different than anyone else's. It's extremely empowering to learn what your body needs and to have a choice to support it. I will speak for myself and many of you listening, we haven't always been given a choice as to what our bodies need. This is something that really hit me hard during yoga actually recently, as I was encouraged to move at my own pace and breathe into a movement that was comfortable for me and modify it if I needed to. I don't know why, but that was just such a crazy light bulb moment for me that I haven't always been allowed to tune in to the needs of my body. So learning to practice yoga has been a huge step for me being able to have that choice and to choose for my own body and what feels comfortable and what doesn't feel comfortable. Thanks to some medical trauma I experienced, sexual trauma, diet culture, cultural expectations of what a female body should be and do. I have lived at the mercy of others' expectations for a very long time. These days, I'm learning to find what feels safe for my body, and I'm checking in with it to make sure it is okay to support me. A perfect example of this is I had a gluten-free, dairy-free cookie a few weeks back. And of course, it's gluten-free, dairy-free. So yeah, ooh, it's healthy, right? No, it's still packed with sugar and all the other stuff. I was anxious for hours after eating that cookie. It was A bakery cookie was amazing. It's huge. If you live in the East Texas area, it's from Laurel and Pearl Bakery. Highly recommend checking it out, but I will not be having a cookie that early in the day anymore because I could tell it made me straight up anxious and buzzy for the rest of the day until I was able to kind of probably process that sugar internally to where it wasn't affecting me. So pay attention to that. I really thought, oh, I'm going to try this cookie out. It's going to be great. I have food freedom. I can eat whatever I want to eat. But man, it definitely had an impact on my body. So think that through even before you eat something like, hmm, how is this going to affect me for the next few hours? Is this going to take a toll on my anxiety? Is this going to upset my stomach so it's going to make it uncomfortable for me to work the rest of the day or work out or whatever it is that I want to do? But check in with your body. Only you can decide what's right for your body. And that goes even for all those things that I told you not to do, right? Try them out. See how you feel. Listen to your body in that. Don't just take my word for it. It is so, so important to be able to find safety, as I mentioned at the beginning, but you've got to be able to find that in your own body. The fifth thing that you should be consuming always for your health is rest. Getting enough rest is so crucial for everybody. Sleep issues are a major cause for concern with my clients, but we have to keep in mind that good sleep starts in the morning. Are you even getting any natural sunlight in your day? That helps in a big way. Making sleep hygiene a priority is a huge one too. Dim the lights in the evening. Take care not to be exposed to too bright of light or blue light from screens. Wear a sleep mask. Keep your sleeping environment cool and dark. Wind down with an adaptogen adaptogen drink like 
something with ashwagandha or other calming herbs. You can quit eating two to three hours before bed. No snacking right before bedtime. It just gives your body something extra it has to do while you're sleeping. Make sure your dinner meal has adequate carbs so you feel restful and not hangry. My very favorite product for sleep is called Sleep Time. It's by a company called Nutritional Frontiers. It contains B6, vitamin B6 in the best form, which vitamin B6 is crucial for producing serotonin and all sorts of great things like helping to support GABA and all of that. But it also contains L-theanine for focus. It contains GABA, which is a calming neurotransmitter, 5-HTP, which is a precursor to serotonin. And then it has glycine, taurine, and melatonin, which that's just a powerful cocktail for mental health balance and better sleep. So that's an option. You can look into that. I know some of my clients have benefited from that product as well. But the other thing is spend some time talking to your spouse or a loved one before bed. Journal out your feelings. Sometimes it's just so hard to wind down from all that buildup we've had throughout our day. And if you're going through a period of intense stress, See if you can shoot for 10 hours of time in bed. I know that's going to sound crazy. Will you be sleeping the whole time? Maybe not, especially not if you struggle to go to sleep. But prep your body for time where you are actively winding down to support your body's stress response and recovery process, which is going to happen as we sleep. So say you need to wake up by 6 in the morning. Get in bed by 8 o'clock and see what happens. Maybe you journal, maybe you read something that's not too intense. The, the problem for most people is we do have, we tend to have our TVs in our room. We removed that when we moved a couple years ago, and it was a big benefit, I think, for my sleep. We both get to sleep a lot earlier now that we don't have a TV in our room. But so many things that we watch can just be a lot more stressful for us, right? It just keeps our brains activated, and it's harder to wind down. And so we really have this warped idea in that we're just going to go throughout our stressful day doing and going and doing and going and doing all the things, and then maybe getting a workout after We get home from work later in the day and then we get our stress hormones going again and then we eat and then we eat all this food that it's really hard for our body to process and then we just expect to hit the pillow and go right to sleep. That's not happening for most people. So give your body a chance to wind down and do what you can to support that rest and recovery time that it very much needs. So that is the summary of my five health imposters and five things that I believe are just about healthy for everyone that we all should be consuming. Just remember how important it is to advocate for your health and learn to tune in to your body and what your body needs. What works for my body might not work for your body. And so, you know, do what you will with my advice. I am a health coach. I do not claim to cure, diagnose, or treat any kind of disease. Always check with your medical professional before starting a plan or changing things up or trying a new supplement or any of that. But just know that it is your job to advocate for you. Nobody else is going to advocate for you like you can. I hope you have a wonderful May, wonderful Mental Health Awareness Month. We have a lot of really interesting podcast episodes coming up, and I look forward to sharing them with you. Have a great week. The tiniest spark leads to the biggest blaze, and I hope that today's episode sparks you on a journey to healing and wholeness. Thanks for listening to Sparking Wholeness. For more information on what I do and my coaching programs, or maybe just to reach out and say, hey, find me at sparkingwholeness.com or on Instagram at sparkingwholeness. Have a fabulous week.